Welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I'm Amber, and I'm here with Amanda, per usual, and then our guests, Charlessa and Val. Charlessa has been with us before. You may have listened to our episode on reading challenges, and then she is back today in her capacity as a city councilman and how that affects libraries. So our episode today is going to be on working with your local public libraries to help shape and curate their collections. And we're going to talk to Val, who is a secretary of the board for her library. And we're going to hear from her and Charlessa on how their experiences have helped shape their local libraries and how they think we can get involved as well. So welcome to both of you. And Val, would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Val. I live in Southern Iowa. The town I live in is about 1,300 people and our public library that I've been on the board for has only been a public library for seven years, not quite seven years. It was the longest running privately owned library in Iowa up until the family, everybody in the family had passed away and they decided the family asked the city to take over ownership of the public library. Um, I'm married. I have three daughters. I'm graduating my first child this year from our homeschool. So that's pretty exciting. And the weather's real cold here and it makes me real grumpy this time of year. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely agree about the cold weather. Eric's upstairs starting a fire. He's like, anybody against starting a fire? Are we all going to somebody be here for the rest of the day? And I was like, yes, someone will be here for the rest of the day. Start her up. So, and then Charlotte, do you just want to give us a quick recap on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Charlessa. I am a homeschool mom and city council president of our small town of 2,000 people. Um, that is about my extent of my thing. I'm excited to talk to Val about her library experience about being a privately owned library because our library has always yeah. been a city owned library. So that'll be interesting to me. I'm looking forward to like the perspectives we each have. So this will yes. be fun. Absolutely. Well, real quick, I have one question I like to ask just to get to know people fast. What are some of the most influential books that you have read, Val? Um, I thought about this a lot and I got real excited, but I really had to narrow it down. The first one I read that kind of changed my life was called 15 Minutes Outside. It was a book for parents to take your kids outside for 15 minutes. And it was life changing when my daughter was four and my other one was one and I was pregnant with my next one. That was life changing. I thought you just went outside to get in your car. I didn't realize there were things. You could <laughs> um, also, I love epic poetry. So I've reinvented my love for Beowulf. As my kids have studied it, I studied it in high school. It came back. It just like smacks me in the face every time I read it. And I love it. And nobody in my life understands why I love Beowulf, but it's amazing. <laughs> and I can't I can't really narrow the rest down, but I love Teddy Roosevelt. And I read a book a couple of years ago called Carry a Big Stick, which was a biography of him. And that one just makes me feel like maybe I'm underperforming in my life. He had so many health (laughs) issues when he started and he overcame them so well and with such awesome encouragement from his family and friends. And it just gives me a lot of encouragement. I really like him. There's a Messner biography on him and... I just was, I was amazed at reading through some of the experiences and situations that he navigated and how, how much they reflected current events. And I was like, man, like there's a lot Mm -hmm. to learn from how he handled a lot of these situations. So thank you for sharing that with us. So, all right. Do you want to, um, both of you could just share with us how you got involved with your, your local libraries? I love the library. And when we moved to this little town, everybody here is related to each other. So when you move in as a foreigner, you don't have friends. So I found that my friends were among the books at the library. And the librarians, it was only open very, very limited all week long. So you had to learn the library hours, which was, I think, at the time, two times a week for two hours a day during nap time, of course. So young moms, that's real hard. But I made it happen. And I went in there and I started utilizing the library. I've always used libraries. Even when I go on vacation, I find the public library and I go talk to the librarians because every place just is represented so uniquely in their libraries. It's like art museums to me. So I'm always dragging my family to public libraries and art museums. (laughs) And then um, I walked in the door. Well, I've been on the board 
five and a half or almost five years. And six years ago, I walked in the door and they said, we have an opening on our board. Would you like to apply? And I said, I don't know, because I still had little kids. But then about six months later, whoever they had on the board left the board. And so they asked again, there will be an opening in May or whatever. So that was another year passed. And I said, yeah, I would like to do that. So I filled out the application and city council approved me. And the li- I went to the next library board meeting they met once a month. And that was that. So are you saying, am I hearing this correctly, that originally the library was only open like four hours a week? Correct. That was when it was privately owned. Is it open longer now? It is open longer now. <laughs> um, we're open 30 hours. Nope. Let me think. Yeah, 30 hours a week now. So we're open every day of the week except Sunday. And we meet the criteria for a tier three library. So we are open in the mornings some days, in the evenings some days, and at least one day on the weekend. So that's some of the criteria you have to follow to get a certain tier level of a library. And so we have met all of that. Do tier levels affect your funding? It does. Mm -hmm. Is that a state thing or is that national? It's state thing. Yep. State of Iowa Library sets those standards and then we try to meet the standards. And tier one is really basic, like five hours a week and have a collection, I think, of 100 books, which my personal library has 600 (laughs) books. So and then, um, (laughs) yeah, right. Then the more you the more you're able to work with populations and be open different hours and be able to work through different programs, you get more funding for that. So, Charlessa, how how are you involved with the library? Well, mine kind of came about a different way. My child, Campbell, went into, she's 11, and she wanted to do, well, I encouraged her to do the thousand books before kindergarten. Thought that would be a good goal for us and do it. So, of course, we read our books at home, and then she's like, well, we need more books. And I'm like, well, budget doesn't apply for more books. (laughs) But we ran to the library, and we went on a Thursday. And the reason I went on Thursday is I knew story hour was on Friday. And I did not once we have, um, my, my son was born with food allergies and high asthmatic. And I didn't want everything touched by sick possible kids coming to story hour. So we went on Thursdays. And then of course my daughter picked up on the craft that they were going to do on story hour. So then we had to come back the next day and get hooked up at the library. But that's kind of how it started. I said, I want to do these thousand bucks before kindergarten. And our library goes, well, we have that as a program. I'm like, oh, okay, like bad city council representative right here because I did not know that. And I know I do your funding and I didn't know that because at the point I was probably a little bit, I was a fresh green um, city council member. So it worked out great. So I got to make friends, like you said, with not only the books, but also with the the employees at the library. And they have become, during COVID, my son couldn't go in there. And I remember when he got to go in the first time, he goes, I remember this place. I remember this place. And I'm like, how sad is that? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got involved with our And now that I'm coming off of city council, they have they have slotted me and penciled me in for some things. And I'm hoping I can still be involved in our library. So that's where I come from. So, yeah, we're in Nebraska. So our entity, you know, we have a different library structure, I believe, than what you all do, because I'm interested in that. That's why I asked about the states. That's interesting. So these are the these are the libraries you guys have had experience with, or the, the small town libraries. Do you guys um, work together with other local libraries or with bigger state libraries at all, or are you pretty, pretty, um, whatever that word is, yeah, independent? Thank you. In your own little bubble. (laughs) Um, Because we've only been public for the last five or six years, we were just working to get our tier status up to get our funding up. So we haven't had a huge opportunity to work with other bigger libraries. We have, I mean, we have larger populations around us, not like Cedar Rapids or Des Moines, but we have 10,000, 12,000, 12,000 around us. So those are pretty, those are bigger libraries. And We haven't quite had an opportunity to see what that's going to look like, but COVID actually made a lot of things possible, but not for us because everything went online. But at the time, we did not have Wi-Fi at our library and we did not have good computer systems. So through that then and all the grants that have been out since then, we've been working to up our Wi-Fi and our computers because even if we can't travel to Des Moines or Iowa City or Chicago to go do and say the things there, we can actually zoom into those meetings and kind of enjoy it from our own locality, which is really nice. So does your library participate in the reciprocity agreements in Iowa? Are you like at our our small library in our town, 
participates in reciprocity so I can go to any other library who participates in that system in the state of Iowa. Yes, but I don't think we call it reciprocity. I think we call it something else, but I'm not sh I'm not sure because turns out I'm only supposed to hold one library card in the area and I own four. Because they were like, you're only supposed to have the library card for your own library. And I was like, yeah, but you guys didn't have library cards for a while. And <laughs> I've been trying to use the library for 17 years. Yeah. So we do have a program. It's um, interlibrary loan where actually I can just ask our librarians for a book. And if it's way over in, you know, Decorah or something, they can say, yep, we'll get that to you next week. And then it's charged on my little card that I rented an interlibrary loan. And then we actually work together with a teeny tiny small closet library in the city of Reasoner, Iowa, where they pay us a little fee so that their people can have library cards at our library and be considered our own population of people. So that's the other program. So I know what you're talking about, but we don't call it reciprocity. We call it, I can't remember what we call it. We call it something else. And you share, share less than? Um, yeah, so we have the interlocal um, be able to rent or borrow books from other things. And the state of Nebraska, of course, we qualify for some stuff because they have the Nebraska Library Commission. So they're part of that. And so I would say that our librarians utilize that more than the patrons do. They use it for research. You know, we're, um, we're as, as a city, we're going through all of our code books and all of our manuals. And so on a city level, so they're also going through all their code books and their manuals and policy things. And so that's what they're working on. They're getting a lot of information from the Library Commission in Nebraska for that. So I'd say they utilize it probably more than we do and more than I do. I have never checked out something in a local. I don't know if I've ever stumbled upon a book that I have actually needed that our library hasn't had. I mean, I buy clearly, but I don't think they, we have a really good library. So I'm, I'm fascinated with the two hours and only a few library books. I mean, that is amazing. And no, you know, no computer systems. We have computer systems. We work with our library works with a local internet provider to provide internet in our building. You know, we do a lot of outreaches that, that benefit everybody. And so, and if you live outside the city limits here, it's $20 to get a library card. And so we can have a library. I could have a library card from a town down the road with no problem. So that's interesting. The two can only have one library card because, you know, everywhere. Well, and who's policing that really? Right. No one. no one is pulling that. Nobody's yeah, going to tell you you read too much from different libraries. <laughs> exactly. Well, and if I wanted to pay twenty dollars to be part of the library, that's like you know, you know, thirty minutes away because they have something I might utilize. I would. I mean, to me that that's beneficial. You know, that's one book for me. Like, mm -hmm. so when people complain, the non-city people complain or make mention of that. I'm like that is one book that you are saving. You know by using the town that you mm -hmm. come to anyway, you're just outside of city limits. You're not paying city taxes. So we have to mm -hmm. somehow offset that. So. That makes sense. So especially after your your 17 year journey to try to find consistent library usage, Val, what are the, what's the value that you both have seen personally through being able to access a public library? First of all, I believe in reading a whole lot of different genres and different ideas because I live in a small town, which tends to put you in this funny little mental bubble. So I like I like reading books that will stretch me a little bit. And so libraries have always given me the opportunity for that. If I'm feeling lonesome, I can go find a friend at the library between the pages, you know, between the covers of a book. Can I ask a question on that? Yeah. yeah so absolutely. how do you like, so our community, because I was just talking to librarians and they're like, yeah, we really try to. Um, pick books that work for our community. So because you say we live in a little social bubble as, as small communities with our libraries, how do we venture out in that? How do we, how do we pick, like, we're re very Republican, our newspapers, Republican, you know, Imperial Republican. I mean, we are like re very Republican. So how do you venture out in that? And how do you expect that in other libraries? So I'm interested in knowing that. Yeah. Um, well, first, when it was a private li private library, we didn't get a lot of new books because the one family was buying all the books. So we got whatever genres they really wanted, got on the shelves. And they were always really good if you requested a book. They would do a little research, but for the most part, I'm, re I'm requesting classics. So they're like, oh, we didn't have that on the shelf. Weird. And then they would buy it. <laughs> the town hates that I'm going to say this, I'm sure, but it actually requires us to love one another, <laughs> to reach across the table to say, 
you know, I'm Republican. Oh, I'm Democrat. Okay, let's have these conversations. What books are you reading? What books am I reading? Um, it makes us a better society to be able to do that. Absolutely. We don't have a community right now that does that super awesome, <laughs> but we do have a board that's represented very well that actually does do that really well. And we didn't try to do that. We didn't like go seeking out because I think that's illegal to seek out. Like we need a couple of Democrats on our very Republican <laughs> library board, but we've been able to find them and we can all have really great conversations. And actually our meetings, five minutes before our meetings start, we say, what are you guys reading? And then we get this wide genre of what we are reading. But really the boring answer is somebody goes on Good Morning America to see what their reading lists are and then they get like bestsellers or things like that that maybe people aren't going to reach into and read about. But then they think, well, let's try it and see what happens. So That's very interesting. That's a good system. I do want to say, Val, having had some conversations with you in the past about things that you've been reading, something I really respect about you is how much you read for a relationship. Mm -hmm. You've told me about how friends will recommend books to you that are absolutely not something that you would be interested in reading and they don't align with your values at all. But because they mattered so much to your friend and they really touched your friend, you'll read them to better understand that person. And I think that's so admirable because I think so many of us just get really stingy with our reading time. It just feels so, you know, so limited and measured. And so we, we only want to read the stuff that we really feel would be a value to us. But I, I really respect and I think that that probably pours out into your local library and the influence you have there is your ability and desire to just better understand the people around you through what they've been enjoying in reading. So I have a lot of respect for that. It's definitely changed my mind on some things to be willing to take some other people's recommendations that otherwise I'd be like, oh, no, 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 does not sound interesting. <laughs> It's really hard. I also um, did the thing a couple years ago where I used to struggle and suffer through a book until the very end. I don't do that anymore because I yeah. actually don't have time to do that. Yeah. So I'll read the first couple of chapters. If it really hasn't grabbed me, I go back to the person to say, tell me what you loved about this book. Otherwise, it's going back to the library because I, I just can't get through it. And for the most part, if they explain their excitement about it, then I can be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to skip to chapter six then because that's when yeah. I get this. Okay, I'll just do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. So does your library part then pick a lot of the books? Is that like one of your like one of your things that you guys do is pick the books? Or does your staff and how many staff do you have? Okay, so we have two part-time staff and we just had staff change this fall and we have now hired a new director. So the director, the old the original director left. And then we took five months of the board running the library, which no, thank you. I don't ever want to do that again. That was hard. <laughs> and then we hired a new director. So we have a part-time director and a part-time assistant librarian who I lovingly call the children's librarian because that's actually where her desire, she wants to work in the kids section. She kind of claims it as her own and is like, that's my books and my section. So choosing the books is really hard. They love hearing what the board wants to see on the shelves. And when we were running the library, we got to say, okay, how, how were they ordering books? Okay, let's check those out. Who's reading this? I'm actually the only one on our library board that reads nonfiction books. Everybody else reads murder mystery fiction and Amish romance because those are our, <laughs> those are our books in this area. Um, so that was really interesting because you can tell what we read in our community because those shelves are stuffed full of books. And my little nonfiction area takes up three and a half shelves out of the it should occupy nine and it takes up three and a half because nobody wants to read those books apparently wow. <laughs> so, so so we do get some say in it um definitely but not any more than patrons so mm -hmm. i think that's an interesting idea too i always tell my friends if you have a book you really like go talk to the librarian and explain that you'd really like to see it on the shelf and then ask real obvious questions like when will you be ordering books again would you be willing to order that one for me i found it here on amazon for you know whatever can you order that is that in your budget and if they say no you always have the secondary option to say if i purchase the book and donate it will you put it on your shelf and our requirement for that is it has to be within the last three years and it has to be in fairly good condition. So published within the last three years. However, if you've talked to your librarian and you say, but this book was written in 2001, which by the way, I do all the time because again, I'm reading books from a long ways back or whatever, like this one was 2001, but I love it and I'm going to check it out. And then she says, yep, if you bring it in, we'll put that on our shelf. Yeah. And then we put it on the shelf when I bring it in. 
when you've encouraged your library to get books or I know you were picking out books for your library to get a while back, uh, have you seen fruit from that? Have you seen it change anyone's reading habits or just offer more to the people? That's a great question. Community? Not yet. This town takes about seven years to change things. <laughs> so what I did is um, I actually asked Amber for recommendations because we we are just in this community, in the homeschool part of the community, starting to talk about emotional intelligence. I know it's been kind of out in the mainstream for a long time, but we just now are starting to have these conversations. And I wanted to engage some of those books in our children's section. So I asked Amber, do you have any suggestions about emotional intelligence? And that started a whole conversation within my friend group here about why it's important, why emotional intelligence is important and things like that. So. The children's books are always easier to get people to read because our children's section is tiny and people can read through those books really fast. I mean, when you're a mom and you've got little kids and my friends have three, four, five, six, seven kids. So when you go into the library and every kid gets to pick out five books, you go through a real tiny library selection real fast. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to help people find new books in the children's section. We're buying more of them, but the parents are checking them out a lot more often. And then if the parents and the kids like them, they'll recheck them out. It's harder in that nonfiction section where people are like, I don't want to read nonfiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, I do. I love those books on emotional intelligence. And I've been impressed with whoever has been ordering for our library because somebody definitely seems to think that that's important too because they just keep getting new ones. And I'll go to request one and realize it's already on the like on order list. But I was walking through my library the other day and my 15 year old will tell you that if anyone makes eye contact with me in life, I will recommend a book. <laughs> and so, so I'm like walking through the library and I've got, you know, my big stack in my arms and this librarian that I haven't seen before is sitting at one of the desks that they have just in the middle of the library. And as I walk past, she asks if I found everything I needed. And, you know, I tell her I found a lot more than I was looking for. So yes, I'm, I'm all good. And I keep walking. And then I just like, I felt like I needed to share a book with her. And <laughs> I go back and I'm like, you know, I'm so sorry, but you made the mistake of engaging me in conversation. So I need to tell you about this book that I read recently. And I was like, you know, it's just a picture book, but in case you are looking for picture books to recommend, I read maybe tomorrow. And it is the best book on grief that I have read in my life. And it just so beautifully illustrates what it can look like and how you can share your burden with others and how that can lessen it, but how it does just take time and you have to have, you know, patience with people when they're walking through the earlier stages of grief. And I don't know, I narrated it so much better to her in the moment, but she's just like sitting there, she writes it down and she's like, you know, I'm really glad that you stopped and talked to me. I just lost my mother and I'm going to go check this book out. And I was just like, we have to engage with people. Like if we have this knowledge and information and especially if like our intuition and that sixth sense as that we as women have so much stronger is telling us like, tell someone about this. Like we need to listen to those voices. And, and then I was just able to, you know, offer her some, some sympathy and, and just talk to her about her loss for a few minutes. But those books on emotional intelligence, I, like, I cannot say it enough. They are not just for kids. Those picture books especially are for everyone. I have recommended that book to so many people and my adult friends as it comes into their library or they've just ordered it right out, they'll message me afterwards and they're like, I'm just sitting here sobbing. You didn't warn me. And I'm like, oh, I warned you. <laughs> but it's like, maybe tomorrow is so good. But yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad that you've been able to add those books and I wonder um, with your children's section, when you say children's section, are you just talking about like picture books in middle grade or when you say that with the size of your library, is that including like the YA section as well? Um, no, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, we moved our young adult section into our adult section. So mm -hmm. our library is two yeah. whole rooms in our community. Ooh, la, la. It's tiny. So the first, the main room you walk into is adult uh, fiction, nonfiction, all the things, right? And then you walk down this little hallway where the bathroom is. And then in the back room is juvenile and children's, both nice. fiction and nonfiction. So we thought about moving our young adult books back to the back room, but then we realize that young adult books are for young adults. And sometimes we mislabel young adults. Like I can call my 14 year old a young adult, but 
for reading content. I don't want her necessarily reading young adult things yet. My 17-year-old can be reading those young adult content, but at 14, I'm not sure I want my 14-year-old doing that. So yeah, that's kind of how our library has separated the two rooms and the genres. I really appreciate that. At our library, the librarians, like once you turn 13, they start like marching you over to the YA books and marketing them to you because they contain main characters ages 13 and up. And so if you aren't really familiar having actually read the content of the books to know what's in them, it can just be like, oh, these are the these are the kids that are your age. But it's like, no. And there's a big difference between a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old <laughs> and what's appropriate. But you see in a lot of um, middle grade fiction these days, actually, where publishers will take a cast. I don't want to say the title of this book that I'm thinking of because I could be conflating it with this other book that I'm thinking of. So one of these two books that's very popular, it is a family of four kids and the editor took the oldest kid and knocked their age down one year so that it would be middle grade fiction instead of bumping it up for marketing into YA, which is where it belongs. It does belong in middle grade fiction. But I've heard a lot of parents complain because this older character has a first kiss and they're like, this is, you know, this feels really young. And it's like, okay, but if it was one year up, it wouldn't feel as shocking to you. And so you need to keep in mind this character was written <laughs> one year up and you just, you don't know. Like, And so I I feel frustrated for authors who are probably really struggling because they want to have like a family story with a broader aged cast, but then they have to like age down people. But the actions of those people are aged up just in order to meet this marketing bubble. So that has to be really frustrating. But I, I do appreciate having the, the YA books with adult books and then it's on parental discretion instead of just having them in your face in the kids department. Yeah. I wanted to mention too, um, I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of young adult books that have gotten into a lot of trouble this year based on their content and whatever. So, I mean, it is tricky because the Hardy boys are in the young adult section. Right. So that is a little it tricky. Is hard. Yeah. I don't know if our director meant to do it or if it just happened that way, but where the young adult ones that are having a lot of press this year are located are actually up real high. So like short kids aren't yeah. going to notice those books that much. Even me, I'm five foot two. So the, you kind of have to get on your tiptoes and kind of reach for it. I don't know that she meant to do that. I think it's just how it happened as new books yeah. or however we were adding things to our library. So part of our library's goal is to have something on the shelf that everybody who walks in the door can resonate with mm -hmm. and something on the shelf that totally offends that person. That's mm -hmm. actually really important in the idea of libraries and liberty itself here in the mm -hmm. United States, because we have to be able to cross the boundary of where we want to stay in these neat little lines, right? And say, well, this is what I believe and this is how this is. But the reality is, is our neighbors may not believe that. Mm -hmm. So to be able to offer lots of information for communities so that we as citizens and just humans can make our own decisions about things is actually one of the hardest things about being on the library board. But it's been really good for our community to understand that that's what we're trying to do. We're not, we fall back all the time on families. So if a child comes in to check out a book and then the parents are mad and they call the library, we say, well, you are the parent, so you get the final authority. If you do not like that book, please come in with, with your child to the library when you're checking that out and absolutely go ahead and put that back in the book drop. In. But we can't really police it. So right. it gets real funny when parents are real mad that the librarians didn't stop the child. Well, we don't actually know what your home life looks like. This is mm -hmm. a parental thing, which being an advocate for families, I love that idea to be able to hand it back to the parents to say, you can't actually be mad at us because yeah. this is your child and your child is choosing things, but it is a great opportunity to have conversations with your family about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate for your family. Cause you know, that's yeah. going to be different for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually, I, I don't know if this came across. I love a lot of the YA books and I've been reading a lot more YA this year than I have or in the last two years than I have in years previous, but I definitely steer more towards the younger YA personally. And I don't enjoy the the older stuff because I have yet to find a YA book. So if you guys know of any, or any of our listeners know of any, please message them to me. Any YA books that have kids that are um, 17 and up that don't have sex in them. And I'm not looking to read that. And my daughter's not looking to read that. But I would like to be reading about kids that age because I don't want to, you know, live in this bubble that doesn't 
doesn't notice their existence and kind of rules them out. But yeah, that's, that's very, I really love that idea of the the challenging books. And we have a lot of challenging books, even in our, our home library that are specifically to have hard conversations with my kids and to let them see worlds and experiences outside their own. I was telling Amanda that in January, after we moved back home from our fire, our available cash was very limited as we were waiting for a reimbursement check from insurance. So we had like spent it all, we needed it back and our hot water heater stopped working. And it was like off and on, it would work like maybe for like 20 minutes and then it would stop working. And so I just lived with baby wipes and dry shampoo while we were waiting for the check to come and get a new hot water heater. But my girls who are in dance and actually active, they were taking cold showers without complaining. They were just, you know, regularly on their shower days, they were taking showers. And once we got the hot water heater back, my 15 year old was just like, man, you know, I really think it was a good experience for us to not have hot water because it helped me to realize what it's like for people that don't and that that's a hard thing and that those people are willing to do hard things in order to get clean and I was just like that's like such a good thought like it is a hard thing it is a I'm unwilling I've done it once in my life and that was one too many times to take a cold shower (laughs) but you know we need to be able to do hard things. And so I was really appreciative that like now these stories of kids walking to gather water or, you know, the first, the first parent gets the hot bath and then everybody else gets the the same bath water after that you, you know, read about in like little house on the prairie books and that the last person is probably in some cold, dirty water. And so it just, I, I like the idea of doing that with books too, just being able to, to challenge their own experience, their own lived experience and show them, that, you know, it might be harder, it might be easier for other people. And it just helps them when they meet those people in real life. So thank you for sharing that. So how, how does the, the communication between patrons and the librarians, if you're making book recommendations at your libraries, is it better that they fill out a form online? We have a form online that I like, because it has a line where you can pitch the book. And so I like to say, like, what, what target audience it is like this book is good for kids that are on the spectrum and, you know, learning emotional intelligence or, or this is a, a book for kids with in wheelchairs. So then the librarian can be like, Oh, well, we don't really have any books that feature kids in wheelchairs. Maybe we need to fill a hole with this. So is it, is it better to use the forums? Is it better to just have a face-to-face relationship with your librarians and ask them in person and pitch it there? What are your experiences? We don't have a form online for that. You have to go in the door or pick up the telephone and call the librarian. Oh, nice. This librarian could totally pull it off. She could figure out how to link the form to the thing. We could do that. We prefer relationship. It's part of mm-hmm. it's part of our strategic plan is to get people in the door to have a relationship with the people in our community so we know actually who we're serving yeah. and we know what their wants and their needs are. So actually part of our own goal for our library is to actually get people in our doors talking to the librarian. So that's actually the best way for us. We love it when people do book reviews. I have a neighbor who asked me if she could do two book reviews this week yet, and then we post them on Facebook. So the more helpful you are to your public library here in my area, the more willing we're going to be to get you books that you request because you're using our services and you're coming in with that relationship and you're getting probably encouraging others to come as well. Therefore, there's a reciprocalness to the relationship to say, oh, you have a book you'd like us to order? Sure, I'll put it on my next order form thing. Right. Yeah. Relationships. I mean, that's just what builds a community is relationships. And so when you start, when they start to know who you are and what you desire and what you're checking out or whatever, they need, they need relationships. You know, if they don't, if they know where I come with my goals and my values and what I put on my shelves, then they're going to know more about what I'm recommending than just a form. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I've texted them. I've called them. Amazon is having a sell. These are on my list. They're like, well, we can get those for you. I'm like, great, because I want to support them too. You know, I want to support yeah. them putting good books in their library, and I want to check them out too. So if if it's when you think other people will read, I absolutely would rather have them check it out or them buy it mm-hmm. for me to then check out and utilize it there because that makes their numbers and their patrons go up too. 
and their value right. of the community. But yeah, relationships. That was the biggest thing our librarian said to me today. Relationships. We want relationships. You know, people get upset that they can only check out four books until they establish a relationship with them. And then you can check out more. <laughs> like there's just things you have to establish a relationship with. It's just mm -hmm. how it is. And so, yeah, I agree with the relationship. See, yeah, now absolutely. I feel a little bit guilty because our library in the next town over is building a new library and they're putting in a drive up lane and I'm thrilled about that. <laughs> so I don't have to get out of my car, but that's not very good for relationships. Well, and there are other ways for that relationship. You know, if you just call and tell them you think they're doing a good job or you put something on Facebook, like, I really love this library. Thank you so much for offering it. That's sometimes enough for some libraries to be like, oh, oh this patron idea. really enjoyed that. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So yeah. when my kids pass their, or any kid in our community passes the thousand books before kindergarten, they each hundred, you get a prize, they give them something. And then at a thousand, they actually buy them a book, the book that they want. You can recommend, you know, whatever kid book the kid picks up. Then they put a personal note in there from each of the librarians and it is so sweet. And so, and then their pictures up there. So Campbell's pictures up there, Corbin's pictures up there with a thousand books, but it did, it, created and then they put it on Facebook and so then you of course like every kid that gets their thousand books and you celebrate right. them and you know what better thing to let people see that and so yeah I agree anything you can show that you appreciate your library helps as a council member helps me go yeah. people use our library they right. want our library this is what our library is doing and I didn't know they were doing thousand books before kindergarten why did I not know that because they hadn't publicized it they hadn't got it out there mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it helps me to know that people are utilizing the library. So can yeah. I turn the table, Charlisa, on you a little? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what happens when you have um, city council members that do not like the library, do not care about literacy and think it's just a big waste of city money? I would say we don't have that in Imperial. So I don't know really personal experiences and we've never had to cut our budget. Our growth in our community has allowed our tax money actually we never had to increase our levy. So we're very unique for rural America, really that we are still growing. And we're like, um, so because of growth, our taxes go up, our, our revenue of taxes go up, not because we've asked for more money. So we're a little bit different, but there's definitely issues in our community that each of us value more than others. Like my, my kids swim, my, my daughter is a competitive swimmer. And so I value the pool to the point that my daughter on a daily basis has asked, has the city um, manager, has he fixed the pool yet? Is he putting water in the pool? Is he, I'm like, Campbell, chill. It'll happen. It'll happen. You know, like take a deep breath. But that, you know, we all have our different, you know, priorities as a community. I would tell you, you have to be vocal. When you show up to a city council budget meeting, if you show up to a city council meeting where that's being discussed, you have to be vocal. Our city, our um, librarian, the head librarian comes to every city meeting, every city council meeting. She sits in there. She might leave a little bit earlier, but she sits in there. So she is also a department head. So when we have department head discussions or reports, I ask her, you know, hey, Miss Beth, do you have anything you want us to add? Nope, nope. Or, oh, that roof's still leaking. You know, whatever it be that she wants to talk to us about, we have a line of communication with her. But I would tell you, because you have patrons and you have a city, you have a board, that board, the, that board better be there because they're the ones that are passionate about that program and that department. So when you show up and put your face, if you call me and complain, that's one thing. But if you show up, that has, that speaks volumes to me. So rally around and make them come to those budget meetings. Make them like, <laughs> laugh. yeah. So and nothing balance. better than sitting through a four hour budget meeting. You yeah. know, who wants to do that? <laughs> Can They're just great fun. Book, right? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So Val, having come from a private library into a public library, does your book calling look a little different than other libraries? Like when you remove books from the shelves and make space for other ones? Or do you guys still have a lot of space so you're not getting rid of many books? Or what does that process look like? Yeah, um, we're still refining it. So when we initially started as a public about 18 months in is when I joined the board, and that's when we started weeding through the books. We had some new books, but the majority of our books were from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. That's when the family was both working, and they had lots of money, and they were pouring it into the books. And then as they got older, and they were retired, and then they were deceased, and the family had to run it through the estate. 
the books just got less and less. So, um, so that was a long process that probably took two years to weed through our collection to decide what's being checked out. So our criteria at the time was anything from 2000 up, that's the books we kept published 2000 up unless they were classics or unless they had been checked out, or maybe that's what it was. If people had checked the books out from 2000 on, they got to stay in the library. If they hadn't been checked out since before 2000, then we weeded them and got rid of mm -hmm. them unless they were a classic or it was an author you knew people like Dracula. Nobody's really reading that book a lot except at Halloween. <laughs> right. <laughs> and only if like book studies are calling it. So every once in a while you keep one on. What we as volunteers that were doing the weeding, because it was me and like six other community members would come in on a fairly regular basis to go through it. We actually got to decide if things stayed on the thing. So if I found a book, I was like, I didn't realize you had this one because we didn't have everything online yet. Mm -hmm. And the cart catalog was lacking. So you have to mm -hmm. dig through the little cart catalog to find the cart that wasn't being kept up. So if we found books that we didn't realize we had on our shelves, but we were really excited about, we got to keep them on even if they hadn't been checked out. Um, yeah. Now our process is a little different because we are, we do have our whole collection online and we've been through that process now three times, I think in six years, every two years they go through to weed. And now, of course, we can click on our computer and print a report of books that are in the system that have not been checked out. And then we can just decide from those. So we were real drastic in weeding initially because as we took it on, we knew that the community wanted newer books. People weren't using our libraries because people want new books. They want the books that are coming out right now. They don't want ones that came out 25 years ago. Um, now our criteria is published within the last or checked out within the last five years but it's still at discretionary to whoever's taking the books off the shelf. If they look at it and go, uh, it has been checked out, but it didn't look like it was, it looks like it's in bad shape or it doesn't, it looks like they checked it out and then brought it back right away. Like they didn't read it. Probably yeah. not going to keep it on the shelf because we have limited space. We have to be real aggressive with our books because we want to make sure that what's on the shelves is actually moving in and out of our library. Right. So the best advice is, is if you want to keep books in your library, you check them out mm -hmm. because then they pop up on the, oh, these have been checked out. So don't touch those books. Yeah. Yeah. Our library so has a, has an award winner section that I think they kind of like combine their vintage books in with. And we, we had a, a major, major flood at the time. It was the single largest library loss in United States history. And so we did not have very many, like basically if it hadn't been checked out, we lost it. And so I've been surprised at a few of the really old books that I have found on the shelves, but they're just like mixed in with the normal books. So like in the art section, and this one, just like, I can't figure out why it's here, but in the art section, there is the James Dougherty illustrated giant book on the Gettysburg Address which is amazing. And yes, it's very artistic, but it really should be in a different section. <laughs> so, so I like, I've been thinking I need to check that out just to make sure that they know that even though they've misfiled it. And so the people aren't finding what they need. I mean, it's probably the correct filing for the Dewey decimal system, but like, it's not where I think it should be. Um, just so they're like, they don't get rid of it. I was so surprised to find it there. I'm sorry, were you going to say something, Charlotte? I just wanted to know what your budget was, Val, as a as went from private to public. How did that switch? I'm that's fascinating to me. So I'm I'm all for it. Um, we had we had to pass the thing the vote, the taxpayers had to vote to say that they wanted the library to go public. And then they had to shift and adjust the budget because then our volunteer fire department and police and whatever all had to adjust their budgets to give budgets. So our budget right now is at 61800 a year and 45000 of that is for salaries and the salaries. building. So that does not leave a lot of money for our for program. It doesn't leave hardly any money for programming and books gets real dicey too. And Next year, we're hopeful we're going to be able to get more funding and things, but we have, we don't just get city funding. We also get state funding and we go to the county board of supervisors and we have to do a little interview process to ask for more money, which we went in this year and asked for $8,000, which we usually ask for 8,000. They give us about 7,000. 
And then I realized the library 12 miles south of us asked for 70,000 and got 65,000. And I thought, again, underperforming, we should ask for like huge yeah. amounts just to see what they hand us. But I feel like we have to have a really good organizational plan for what we're going to use that money for. And the, the benefit to being in a tiny building is actually we're incredibly limited. We have to keep utilizing the park. And so we don't need a huge budget yet. And they've been throwing around ideas to build a new building. But they keep saying, for 17 years I've lived in town, and they keep saying, that's probably 15 years away. In fact, they just said it in January. Well, maybe in 15 years. And I was like, that's never going to happen. That's their way of saying that's never going to happen. So we have a really small budget because $45,000 takes up salary and keeping the building mm -hmm. in fairly good working order. And it is a tiny building. So the majority of that is just salaries. So community members can earmark donations, though. If they came in and donated money and said, we want this to go towards art books or we want this to go towards science books or I guess in your library's case, we want this to go towards Amish romances, <laughs> then you guys would, would be able to use the money for what they had directed it towards? Yes and no. Yes because, and no. Because um, we still get the rights to say what we want to do with the money, but in the end, the city council can say, no, you actually have a re uh, like a leak in your roof. We need that money to go towards that. So yes and no. Um, if we had a Friends of the Library, which I don't know how to convince anybody in this town to come up with Friends of the Library, but Friends of the Library is a nonprofit organization that supports your local library. And they become a 501c3, which means then any money given to you is a tax write-off. But if you hand money to a public library, you might as well just hand money to the city clerk and say, here you go, use it for whatever, yeah. <laughs> because it goes into the main general city budget. So yes, for the most part, they're going to say, oh, you got a donation of $200 for children's books, which we did get this year. Yep. Use it for children's books because we don't have any major issues that are needing big budgetary issues. But if somebody was donating us $20,000 for books, but our building was falling down, the city would take control of that budget and and would probably accuse us of mismanaging our funds and saying, <laughs> your building's falling down. You don't need more books. You need to fix the building. Right. So in working with city council, they have the control over the budget in the end, but they're not going to touch it too much because budgets are really hard to deal with and nobody really wants to touch them any more than they have to. So they're going to trust that the library director and the library board is taking care of their budget and they're managing it well. It's part of our responsibility to the community that we're doing things the right way. And by the way, I do not like government. After all these years on the library board, I'm like, <laughs> it, why is it getting harder when it feels like it should be getting easier? And mm -hmm. I still feel real green just trying to figure out how everything works, where I thought, well, I thought we had total say over this. Well, you do until you hand it over to city council. Oh, this is so mm -hmm. confusing. <laughs> yeah. And it is a little dicey. We have city council members that admitted to me in January they do not want our public library going. They would like to be done with it. And wow. so now we have two out of five city council members that don't believe in literacy or public libraries. So now we're at this stage where we're like, okay, well, let's Let's work to educate just a little bit. Yeah. And then we don't know what our next role is. Do we, I don't know. I don't know what to do in that situation. I mean, I want to lobby them out of their jobs, right? But yeah. in the end, these people are my neighbors. So now right. it's like making for dicey neighborhoods and hard community things. And so our best bet is relationships is our best bet to get to know them, to talk with them, to encourage them and engage them in the idea of what the library is doing and how it is benefiting our city and our town. Maybe and our community doesn't have a great relationship with our city council. So the library actually mediates a lot of things just because people get upset and come into the library to talk <laughs> about it. So that's actually Maybe. been to our benefit because yeah. then we can come to the city council meetings and say, oh, they came in and spoke with us about that. And we recommended, you know, check out the ordinance online or whatever. So. Maybe you need to have a letter writing campaign at the library for all the children to write how much they appreciate certain books or the library and send all the notes to city council. That's a great idea. You know, write that yeah. down right here. <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes people aren't willing to listen until you give them something they can't turn away. And as a council member, you don't turn away those kiddos. I mean, like when the kiddos come and oh. present on Tree City USA, like they do in Nebraska here. And when they came and asked us to put a skate park in and they said, 
you know, have you considered? And we're like, no, what do you want to do? They're like, well, we'll raise so much money. And I remember looking these kiddos in their face going, okay, we'll give you the hundred thousand dollars, but you have to finish it. And they came up with $150,000 in addition. So, I mean, it was $250,000, like they raised themselves. So heck yeah, we're going to go cut that ribbon. Heck yeah, we're going to go cheer them on because the kids did it. So as a council member, you know, I got to see, you know, those kids and any patrons coming in and talking to us means the value. So I'm sad that you're all council members are that way. Cause yeah, we're not, we're Sometimes four council members are- and one mayor. And we're a little Maybe bit bigger than everybody's. Yep. Yeah. And it's just sad that you guys have the prime opportunity to like take over this entity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we own our movie theater. We own our library. We own a skateboard. I mean, our pool. I mean, a lot of things in our, our banner, our nursing home and our assistant living is owned by the city. So the only mm-hmm. thing that's not is our hospital. And so that's I think incredible. your come, town is 2,000 people. Your 2, town is 2,000 people. And we're still growing. And so that, like I said, our tax, our, we have huge property taxes in Nebraska. That's where we get a lot of our funding. I mean, Nebraska is known for that. So that's where it's coming from, but we have growth. So we haven't had to ask for levies. Our levy hasn't gone up. And so we can, our firefighters do not have to ask. I mean, we've got them a new building. Our police department has four officers, you know? So yeah, I, I haven't had to cut a budget, but I would probably hold on pretty tight to the library and to our cops. Because mm-hmm. I know people are like, well, no, please. I'm like, well, you want them when you need them. You know, like we yeah. can't get rid of our libraries, in my opinion, because you want that when you need it. And you can't get rid of your police and your fire because you want them when you need it. So, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things people say often, actually, is why do we need a library if everything is online? Which I think there's some value to that. But have you ever held a book with real paper in it, with the written (laughs) word on it? But in the end, what we're seeing is libraries should be a place where people can come and share ideas, have relationships, Mm -hmm. and you can gain new perspective by reading about things. So it's hard. I think a lot of it is just education, and it's our demographic here in town, and it's who's on city council, which that changes, what, every three years or something. So. What you were just describing, Val, reminds me of like the the city gates, right? People would come and sit and share ideas and challenge each other's thoughts, which goes back to your, what you said earlier about having a book with its opposing view on the shelves. And so just being able to to make your library in your small town, especially a, a place for that, that, that's what it sounds like. It's like people can come and share their ideas and how they're upset with city council or things that they want to see changed. And then they can, you know, read from both sides on the shelves. That just does sound like a very valuable asset to a community. That's what your little kiddos need to write right into the city council about. Amanda, were you going to say something? I was just going to say that my response would be, who wants to hand a Kindle to a three-year-old? Yeah. I mean, maybe uh, adults can just read stuff online, but you don't, you're not going to hand your little kids devices and be like, read not a sustainable option for children yeah it is very different experience indeed so final thoughts on advice that you would give people that want to become involved with their local library or with the involved with the book selection of their local library or the running of their library to go in and have a really great conversation with the library director to explain that you love libraries and you just want to be a part of it, whether that means volunteering or sitting on a board or helping out to weed the books, starting with just saying, is there anything you need help with? Actually always opens doors in public service genres because there's usually way more work than there is hours in the day to get that done. Um, And then as the relationship progresses, you have a little bit more say to say, well, I'm a homeschooling mom. Would you be willing to order these? Or can you help me find these books? If you just say, can you help me find these books? Sometimes if you can get them interlibrary loan, they're not going to buy them. But if you ask for them long enough, then they'll say, why don't we just purchase that one for you so that you can (laughs) utilize our library? So that's my recommendation. I have taken supplies into our library. Like I've had extra you know, whatever supplies, glue, they have an after school program on one day a week. So anything like that, that I can volunteer and take in, I do. And it started out with story hour. I took my little one to or my oldest one to story hour. And then she continued to go and help, 
you know, and so then I was like apologetic the other day. I'm like, I should have came in and helped you do the craft. I'm so sorry. And she's like, oh no, we got it done. It's not a big deal. But just being available, like I would consider them friends. We have, yeah. um, my kids, you know, so not appropriate. You're not supposed to give gifts to government employees and they're government employees, <laughs> but they take Christmas presents to them, you know, or they'll give them a card or um, one was sick. And so we, we sent her a Pizza Hut gift certificate just just show that we care, like relationships. Mm-hmm. And plus everybody wants somebody to volunteer. So if you actually yeah. give them, you're saying you're going to volunteer, they're going to take you up on something. It might not be what you like, but they'll give you something. I love that. And what you were saying earlier about getting to know your librarians and them being able to make recommendations to you. It, it reminded me, Amanda has started getting recommendations from her librarian. Oh, I was reading recently. this at the recommendation of my librarian. He said, based off of the other things that you've been reading, I think you would really enjoy this. <laughs> I had no idea who's watching what I was reading, but yeah. he was. <laughs> the benefit of going in, right? <laughs> this is drive up. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. I have to go every time at the same, every day or once a week at the same Uh time every week. So I keep getting the same librarian bringing out my books every week. And so he's just like looking at my stack as he's handing them to me. Oh, that's fun. So then you just reserve your books. You don't go in and look? Yeah, I know. No. I reserve my books. And then if I've gone to the bathroom, I'll walk to the back of the building and like look at the shelves and then they have a new releases shelf which is i've i've realized the website if you look at the new releases does not show all the new releases so i do go look through the new releases shelf but otherwise i order everything online and i think that's what amanda does it yeah it's maybe is not the best for community building but it's extremely convenient just yeah. to do drive up you max out at 50 books on our our local library like you can you can put 50 holds on and that's it so I go in like every two days to pick up whatever books have come up so that I can release my hold amount so I can start putting more holds on so I have like a list on the website of like the books waiting to get moved onto a holds list and then there's a list of books that they've owned previously but they don't currently have so like the book got damaged or something and so I need to petition them to reorder them if I really want to order them but I usually have like 200 to 500 books out at a time and so I just have to keep going through to cycle through and then if you if you return your books at the outdoor book return when they slide through it automatically checks them back in if you only do like three to five like it scans them as they go in and so then so if I have books that are overdue I'll do it that way so that they'll immediately read that they're back in because like today, I have one book that's overdue, so I can't put any more holds on until I return it. So I'll go return it through the through the return slot before I take my daughter to dance. And then by the time we come back into town, I can go in and pick up my holds and not have it dinged against me on my account anymore. But yeah, I really love the hold shelf. And then they, I don't know, I feel like our libraries have tried to automate as much as they can to minimize patron interactions which is kind of unfortunate. Like I feel like our librarians spend the majority of their time helping the people figure out the computers. Like that's where they always are is over in the computer section. But I try to, like if I buy a book off the book sale rack and take my $2 up, I'll make sure to make small talk with whoever's there or, or I'll go. um, If I really loved a book that I read and returned, I'll go up and tell them, tell them about it before before I put it back in the return so that they can hopefully recommend it to somebody else. I think they have been moving to automate things. And I think that some of the librarians don't like that because they've got, you know, self-checkout kiosks. And so if you go to the self-checkout kiosks, a lot of times they'll make conversation when they see people there because it's like, well, now I don't get to talk to people because they're all doing their self-checkout. Yeah. We have two checkouts up at the front desk, but then we have one like in the middle of the library, so like which is right next to the the holds shelves. So like if you just grab your books off the hold shelf, you can just check out and leave and not have seen anyone. But I always try to say hello and goodbye to the librarians at the front so they at least register who I am. And like I said before, if they make the mistake of engaging me in conversation, I will recommend a book. So 
Great. So there is that. But thank you so much, Val and Charlessa, for coming and sharing your your experiences with us. And I feel like I understand a whole lot more about how some of these small libraries work. And I think it also I think it also is a good um, encouragement to continue building a home library where I will have control over what is available and accessible to my family when we need it, in addition to being able to use the public library. And in case we're ever in a situation again, like the COVID shutdowns where no one could get anything out of their libraries. And I know a lot of families were like at their libraries. I've, I've heard a lot of stories last month in our book group about families who happened to be at their library on the day when the library got the call saying that that was it, that they were closing for an undetermined amount of time and the librarians just let them take as many books as they wanted. And so they were like, these were the 50 books that we had for the next year until the library opened again. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a good encouragement to continue to build my home library to serve my family and my local friends and neighborhood. And then to also be working with the librarians in order to help cultivate that library. Like I said, I use it heavily to help shape that for the community at large and to just be appreciative of of what's there and what my tax dollars are going towards. So thank you very much for coming and sharing with us. And thank you everyone for listening. And if you have any questions, you can throw them in the comments under the show notes and any books that we mentioned today, we will add to the show notes and we would appreciate a follow or a like on our show and we will see you all next time. And remember the stories are truer than true.